Great. Welcome to the weekly ACG New York podcast series. Delighted to have you listening to us today. ACG, as you know, is the largest and most influential committee-steered member-based network for the global middle market private capital community. The network focuses on promoting best practice, knowledge, and intelligence for capital providers, industry executives, and those that service them, whilst providing a platform for concierge networking, deal-making, and fundraising. Um, and the ACG New York Weekly Podcast invites our members, guests, partners, and others to discuss key themes and topics in the world of global middle market private equity. And today we have with us Slade Cabrain, Managing Partner at Chief Outsiders. Slade, how are you today, sir? Hey, Vic. I'm great. And thanks for having me. No, delighted to have you with us. Obviously, there's one subject that is looming large over everyone's heads and world. Um, and that's the coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, and I thought that today, Slade, we can we can have a, a bit of a chat because we're, what, four weeks into this now. I don't know yep. about you, but it's getting <laughs> all quite frustrating being cooped up, but it's, it's the new paradigm. Um, and I found that most organizations have had quite a, a multi-pronged attack in, in responding to the virus. But before I go into that and what we're going to talk about today, perhaps... Perhaps a little bit more about you, sir, and, and your remit and what Chief Outsiders does. Sure. Happy to. So I am the managing partner uh, here in the Northeast for Chief Outsiders. I have responsibility for basically from Virginia up the East Coast. And I've got about 15 uh, chief marketing officers on my team. Mm-hmm. And my area of responsibility is uh, very much focused on growing our business. Uh, a lot of recruiting, a lot of supporting that team, a lot of business development and supporting my private equity partners and clients. Right. Um, interestingly, you talk about, you know, working from home and what the change is. Chief Outsiders, I mean, I've been doing that for eight years. I've been with Chief Outsiders for about eight years and I've been working from, from home ever since. And that's pretty much the way we operate. Now, I'm not usually home every day, all day. I'm you know, three to four days a week, I'm out at some point, usually spend, a, I live in Northwest New Jersey. So often I'm spending a lot of time in the city or in Philadelphia or driving to Boston or whatever. So yeah. going a little bit stir crazy, but working through Zoom and doing things remotely, that's kind of second nature to me now and, and to our tribe of uh, CMOs. Yeah. And I guess with that, your best place to talk about how you engage with stakeholders at this time. So those, those, those actionables that I've, 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 I mentioned have been very much four-pronged. So initially, and I don't know whether you did this, I'm sure you did at, at Chief Outsiders, initially we were all told, and it was mandated by government to put the safety of people first, so get everyone, the workforce, into, into the house, get them working there, get each one used to that. Then it was very much about building and securing liquidity, um, you know, the internal financial vagaries that you have to deal with. Um, and then, and, and what has really continued since then is protecting business continuity. So, so keeping that trading mindset whilst developing scenarios to work in a restricted environment. And I guess, Slade, where we're at now, whilst the, the third stage continues, is just engaging your plans with stakeholders. But perhaps, perhaps you could tell us what you've done internally since you know, since we've been engulfed with this virus, what's happened internally at Chief Outsiders, how you've sort of set about your actionables? 
So it's been an interesting um, run, so to speak, over the last month or so. And as you mentioned, there's the different stages. Mm-hmm. You know, the first stage for a lot of companies was, you know, holy cow, what do we do now? How do we even operate if we're not in the office or out, you know, uh, making deals or meeting people? And so, quite frankly, because we've done it for so long, we were able to reach out to our partners and to the ecosystem and just provide some guidance and some advice. How do you even set up a Zoom call? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, For my team internally, as an example, we've held weekly Zoom happy hours. And I did that with a group of external uh, partners as well. And, uh, you know, just teaching people how to work and be productive in this environment, I think, was where we added some value and where we were called upon to help during that initial phase. Yeah. And then, quite frankly, the message and the outreach has really been around, you know, how can we help? We've got we're fortunate to have 70 of the smartest business people and smartest marketing minds, in my opinion, um, uh, as chief outsiders. It's very easy for me to unlock those people. We've done everything from, you know, help people figure out how to work remotely to review commute, uh, uh, employee and, and client communications to uh, set up uh, a phone call or, or a virtual panel with a couple of our CMOs. All is just ways to try to give back to the community and be useful. Um, you know, some of these things may lead to business opportunities down the road. Many of them won't. But, you know, look, at, at, at this point and um, where we are, if, if we're not available to help each other, there's not going to be anything to help afterwards. Yeah. And so we just have to be able to support each other. And that's that's what we've been trying to do. And that really just lines up with our culture and our philosophy really well and the way in which we always operate. Yeah, absolutely. Well, but I do want to ask, obviously, this time where everyone are coming together, speaking about communications and helping one another. Um, in this time and even outside of such a time where pork co's and PE shops that back them are maybe not concentrated on marketing communications as much. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm talking to a lot of um, PE shops right now, and those that are listening to us are very much interested in things like, I don't know, human capital management, liquidity and credit management, information sharing, data management, gosh, cybersecurity, tech management, business continuity plans, insurance, regulatory management. So I know that engaging with stakeholders is integral in all of those efforts. But how important should marketing and communication considerations be, especially in this time and outside of this time? Well, I think there's two aspects of it. During this time, marketing and communicating the right way is exceptionally critical. Mm. Communicating with authenticity, communicating the right message, Brands and companies are being judged every day on how they operate today, how they communicate with their employees, with stakeholders, with their customers or clients, and and the tone. And so nobody's looking for the sales pitch anymore. Nobody's looking for the, um, you know, uh, give me your money kind of an approach. Everybody is looking for how how can um, uh, this brand or this company be relevant to me at this point in time. So messaging and positioning and the value proposition is very different than it was four weeks ago for many companies. And I don't think enough of of the companies, and that's where we're spending a lot of time with our clients, but in broad sense, I don't think enough companies are are focusing on that. And, 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 you know, in fairness, they've been scrambling a lot, right? 
um, to try to just figure out, as I mentioned before, how to operate in this world. Hmm. Um, but uh, they're making some mistakes. We're seeing it, and we're you know we're trying to help them correct it uh, because the 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 old messages uh, don't don't really fly in this new world. In many cases, I can't say in all, but yeah. in many cases. So that how you communicate and to whom and in what formats are more critical than other. Yeah. Um, at the same time, in the private equity world, you know we're seeing a lot of our uh, you know, the, the PE firms that we're talking with, they're they're doing a lot around liquidity, as as you mentioned, and, and they're and they're you know doing the triage on their portfolios. Which ones uh, companies are going to make it? Which ones don't we have to worry about? Which ones might we just you know need to to let go because they're just not going to be there? But they're doing it, I think, primarily because they're financially driven driven from a financial standpoint. And I think the opportunity is to do it more from a go-to-market standpoint, mm. right? What's the, so you know? I, I like to think of things about you know an engine for growth, and we talk a lot about that for cheap outsiders. So at some point, the engines are going to need to restart for many of these firms. How mm. well prepared are these companies to restart their commercial engines? Not just their operational or from a financial standpoint. But from a go-to-market, right? Does our messaging need to change? Do we need to maybe position ourselves at, against a different target audience than we had been in the past? Do yeah. our pro products and, and services need to be different in a post-COVID world? Yeah. And a lot of those answers are unknown, but the smart uh, firms, uh, private equity firms, and the smart portfolio companies are taking the time to figure those things out now so that when it is time to restart their engines, they're ready to go. Yeah. No, those ones are the smart ones, but I've found, and you and I have spoken about this, there are a few out there that don't play that much of a, of a consideration to marketing and communications, um, you know, be it a, a carve-out, a bolt-on, a roll-out, whatever it may be. How did you, let's, let's forget this scenario right now, but in, in before four weeks ago, how did you go about demonstrating that marketing and comms there was an ROI in that. You've talked about some of the, the nuances of it, but how did you go about demonstrating that to those that maybe weren't listening? Well, I think our, again, I think it, the, 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 our approach resonates really well in the, in the private equity world because we focus a lot on repeatability, on scalability, and measurement and accountability. So we, we, we often find when we're working with a client that there's a lot of, you know, you have smart people inside the business doing what they think are the right things. But often marketing, you know, especially in a, in, in a non-consumer driven company, whether it's, you know, a B2B SaaS company often, whether it's a, it's a manufacturing business or professional services, marketing in many cases are uh, kind of second thoughts and re very reactionary. Right. They've got everybody from sales to operations to the CFO to the CEO or president asking every day for something new for them. And they're bouncing around uh, from, from request to request doing this the best they can. And they often don't have a repeatable plan. They don't have a holistic view of how to go to market. And so they're doing what we call those random acts of marketing and they're equating activity for results, right? So we've got a great marketing department. They get a lot of stuff done, but they're not making a meaningful impact on the growth rate of the business. And that's the scenario that we're often finding. And so by coming in and being able to do that initial analysis and assessment and finding those opportunities for improvement and helping them, because it's not often or always about spending more, it's about spending the money more effectively 
yeah. showing where uh, and how that can be done more effectively, that's how we can demonstrate uh, the, the value of real uh, uh, professional marketing versus that random you know, acts. And then the people that are doing it, quite frankly, are often more effective, more fulfilled because they're not bouncing around like ping pong balls, but they've got a plan to follow and they're more valued inside the business. Yeah. Talk to us maybe, Slade, about when you initially go in to, to one of these firms. What, what does that analysis look like? What do you look for? Um, what are some of the telltale signs that you, you try and pick out to say that, all right, maybe they're not so heavily concentrated on, on what we're offering and they should be. So how do you go about doing that? Yeah, so we like to think about how do we really gather insights? We, we like to make decisions from an insights-driven approach, right? Mm -hmm. And we have our opinions, we have our experience, which is valuable, but at the end of the day, the data and information are what drives us or should drive us going forward. So we really strive to gather a, a really strong uh, a, a set of insights around um, the company, what are their commercial capabilities and where do their strengths lie and how are they differentiated or should they or could they be differentiated from, from others in the marketplace, from their customers or clients, and what are their needs, uh, and, and, and how, what are their buying processes, and, and, and who uh, within those clients, uh, whether it's, again, a consumer or a business, who, how are those decisions made? And then uh, within the market at, uh, overall, right, because nobody operates in the vacuum. And so we try to take a very purposeful, insights-driven approach based on our growth gears model to understand how do all those pieces come together? Now, at the same time, you know, nobody's looking for us to come in and do a six-month study and then give them all these big pronunciations. So we're, we're kind of driving, uh, changing the tires on the car as we're driving down the road at the same time. So we're often looking for and finding areas where they can make immediate improvements on, on their activity, improve websites, improve email programs, improve, uh, clean up their data, um, do things and, and uh, provide better uh, support maybe and better material and targeting for the sales teams if they have a direct sales model. So we're often finding those near-term uh, opportunities and then uh, helping uh, to, to get a better sense on what that engine should look like. Often when we work, e either from private equity world or non-private equity, we're often brought in because um, the CEOs want to take a more purposeful approach and a more strategic approach to the, how do they go to the market? How do, do they go to market? But they don't have the space to do it, right? Because they're busy fighting fires. They're busy worrying about results. They got a million things to do. Mm. And one of our roles is to help create some space for them to concentrate on some of the more strategic approaches that are going to drive the business going forward. And in the private equity world, help increase the um, the enterprise value uh, and, and, and fulfill the investment return that they're looking for. And yeah. so sometimes we just have to create that space for them. And by taking some of that stuff off their plate, by solving some of the near-term problems, so now they have some time and, and energy to devote to what does the future look like. Yeah. So what, what, what type of, what's the makeup of the PE shop that is coming to you generally asking for such help? Are they lower middle market, middle market? We know that the behemoth size firms, they have a million and one people doing this, but what size of shop do you, do you generally work with? We spend a lot of time in the lower middle market to middle market. Um, interestingly, we've had some of the larger shops come to us. Uh, our, our, our value to them tends to be more on an interim basis than a fractional basis. Hey, we just lost a head of marketing. 
Uh, it's going to take us three months to find a new person. Uh, we need somebody to fill that slot. And that three months tends to be more like six or seven months until they find the right person. Um, so we're finding the, the value in those larger uh, shops are a little, is a little bit different. But most of where we spend our time is in that middle market to lower middle market. You know, right. that $50, $100 million manufacturer or retailer or a consumer goods company uh, that has a, 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 you know, a good business that needs improving and um, maybe is a platform and then they need to figure out because often they're spending a lot of time uh, operationally uh, or, or on integration from an operational and a finance standpoint, but not from a go to market standpoint. And so then they find they got a mess on their hands. They've got these three companies we came together. They overlap in, in, their, in uh, who, who they sell to. And branding is a mess. And we're confusing the heck out of the marketplace and our customers. We need to get our arms around that. And often, too often, that's an afterthought and not part of the integration plan. Yeah. So are you working both pre-deal with, with the um, fund managers as well as post-deal with operating partners? So I would say about 80% of our, our uh, activity in the private equity world is post-deal, either right after the close or uh, sometime during the hold period when the, when the asset's not performing uh, up to par. Uh, 20% is pre-deal. We do a lot of work in terms of diligence, uh, assessment, and, um, and, and go-to-market capability. Mm. Uh, let, let, let's go back to the here and now, Slade. Obviously, a lot of folk building their engagement plans um, to address needs and priorities. How, how do you go about helping in, in, in that? I have found that some, a, a little, not I wouldn't say clueless, that's being crass, but some don't even know where to begin. There's just so much going on and they remember, okay, we're doing this. We need to communicate what's going on, um, some of the actionables that we're taking. What have your clients been asking you to, I know you've touched on, on one or two things, but what are some of your thoughts there and, and, and how can you help some others that haven't even thought about this much? Well, I think the key, key things that I'm seeing is, again, as, as you mentioned before, there's a lot of activity around uh, liquidity. There's a lot of activity around people and, you know, are, are they going to be uh, available through the loan programs, et cetera. Um, and then I think there's an assumption that, okay, when, when, when we restart, we're just going to go back to doing what we did. And I think the mistake that uh, too many of the uh, companies that we're working with are seeing that they're making is um, they're not recognizing that the world will be different. Their customers, in many cases, will be different. How they buy, how they sell. Just think of the uh, manufacturing company that uh, you know goes to three big trade shows a year that generates 60% of their business. Yeah. Um, those trade shows may not be there anymore. How are they going to sell now going forward? Um, their customers, even if the trade shows are there, their customers may not be going to those trade shows because people's habits are changing. Um, people will more and more be working out of their home offices because I think one thing this, this crisis has taught people is it's not the end of the world if you're not in the office every day. So what does that mean for your salespeople who are used to going out and physically meeting with people? Are those opportunities going to change? So customer buying habits, customer usage habits, um, all those things are going to change. And the mistake I think that they're making is is not understanding that and not taking the time to to, un, to understand it. Just assuming we're going to go back to doing what we did before. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, now, obviously, this is the here and now, and who knows how long this will extrapolate into. But let, let, you and I have talked before about 
post all of this? What are, what are your? How are we going to come out of this from your perspective, Slade? You've on it a little bit there, but I know you're very much, uh, you're more of an optimist than a pessimist. Um, but what are you telling your client base? Again, you've touched on a little bit there, but what are your thoughts on, on the after effect of all of this and where you fit in? I think the big thing that you know we're seeing uh, and telling our clients is to lean into the future, right? Take the opportunity now to take stock of what the future looks like and what are your unique capabilities to do to to address them, and where might those gaps be, right? Um, are, is there opportunity to uh, have a differentiated offer, or as as customer buying uh, habits and usage habits change, uh, and tweak your product or service to be more effective, to take share? Um, what are you doing to get off to a faster start than the competition when things come back? Um, that's the other side of it that I think people really need to be looking at. From an investor standpoint, um, I know, you know people are certainly looking at that list of potential acquisitions, either from a platform or an add-on play, that were just too rich before. Well, let's now take a, a closer look at them. But I think they should also be looking at you know, for the platforms that they have, um, what capabilities can they bring in that will most uh, most be uh, be most effective in this new world? And a lot of that runs around digital and e-commerce and not the more remote connectedness. I don't think it, people want to be less connected or will be less connected going forward. They're just not necessarily going to be in the same room as much as they were. Mm. Oh, unbelievable. Do you, so you think... You know, private equity, and certainly from an ACG perspective, you know, that world has been very much a tangible networking world. Um, but now we're all having to digitalize, and some are, are worried that we have to remain this way. To what extent would, will digitalization play a big part in, in, the, in the deal flow, you think? I mean, some are a bit more apt than others. Um, you know, they, they, they've been used to, like yourself, working from home for a while, you know, having calls like this, but others have not been. So how engulfed will we become um, by Zoom and whoever else? I don't think it, Zoom takes over the world. I don't think video conferencing and staying at home, you know, provided the health aspects of this are, are eventually solved. I don't think that goes away. But I think people uh, will realize that there are aspects of, of deal making that you don't have to be there. You know, it's going to be, there are going to be some elements that are, um, it would be nice to be there in person if we could. So when we can, we will be. But when we can't, we're, you know, we can still be very productive and effective. And there are going to be certain elements of, you know, we've got to just do this part of it in person. Yeah. But I think that's going to increase people's productivity and, and their th throughput much more in the future. Yeah. And I think it's going to make, make uh, in the deal community much more effective. When I think of organizations like ACG, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what the mix is, but you know, for sake of the argument, if you're doing 10% in a normal world pre-COVID, if you're doing 10%, you know, um, uh, digitally and eight and 90% in person, I, I don't think the in-person goes away, but it's probably going to, it might only be 40%, you know, uh, or 60%. But I think the cr the critical factor is. When you're in front of somebody, it's got to be a high value activity. The low value, hey, let's just get to know each other and meet a lot of people. Those are going to become less critical. Mm. Um, having content, having purposeful interactions in, 
you know, face to face, they're going to be even more important and even more uh, meaningful and valuable in a post-COVID world. Um, and, and all the stuff that you could get really done remotely is just going to default to that. And yeah. so I think that's a great opportunity, quite frankly, for ACG to really raise the value proposition of the organization going forward. I think it'll be a little messy trying to figure out exactly what that looks like. But once you kind of get over that, I think uh, an organization like ACG is really well positioned to really up the value proposition and, and you know, the level of value. That, uh, yes, yes. Our- We're certainly going about doing that, just trying to engage with members um, through rich media, through initiatives like this to keep them yeah. connected. Well, there's my optimism, right? There's my optimism. No, it's a, but it's an optimism that we all should have, I, I believe. Um, you know, one day this, this all shall end, at least I hope, and, and, and very, very soon shall that day be. But how are you faring at home? You said you've been used to, used to working at home, but um, it's not, not pleasant being cooped up thus, is it? It's not. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm here in my home office. So for me, you know, I have an office. I get dressed. I wear, you know, I'm not wearing a suit and tie. Um, my goal is to not wear suits and ties ever again, unless it's for a wedding or a funeral, and hopefully many more of the first and the second. Um, but, you know, I'm dressing for work, and I've always had that attitude. I come to my place of business. And so for me, that's been really critical for being productive. Yeah. I'm going a little stir crazy, you know, I have to admit. Um, you know, I'm, I'm usually, as I mentioned, I'm in New Jersey, so I'm usually in the city, you know, several times uh, a, a week, if if not, you know, um, more frequently or in Philadelphia or Boston or someplace else. So I kind of miss those trips. I don't miss the train ride, but I miss being in the city and the, and the life of the city. I, and, and even from someone who's been used to working um, uh, remotely, I do miss the face-to-face. Uh, you know, yeah. that's, it's, it's, it's reinforced how valuable it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that, you know, I, I do go a little bit stir-crazy, but, um, you know, you deal yeah. with it. Slade, I just want to rewind a little back. Something's just dawned on me. Obviously, we have the CARES Act and, and you know, it, it, a lot of provisions in there. And the program is very extensive with, with you know, 2.2 trillion and then some, I'm sure, more to come. But it hasn't been favorable to private equity backed lower middle market, middle market businesses. I know there's been an, an addition of, of monies over the, over the last couple of days. There's still some vagaries around that. So in and amongst all of that, there's a lot of essential restructuring and structuring of businesses that is being done. How how vital is marketing and communications in all of that? And I ask why, because I am already starting to see a fair few larger firms looking down, and all of this has accelerated the growth equity plans of them coming in and gobbling up some of these businesses. So when you're restructuring, you get them ready, you have to promote and propagate that. that. That's essential right now, isn't it? I guess it has to be. Well, it is. And just think of it from every element, right? What message, what impact would it have on the brand to buy a, uh, a, a, another business today and have massive layoffs in the middle of all this, right? Yeah, right. And you think of the reputation that, in my opinion, is not deserved, but you know many of of, of politicians have for private equity, mm. um, and and just think of of their ability to do that. You know, as I mentioned before, communication and and how brands are being judged. So I think it's it's critical uh, in in that kind of a world. Yeah. Um, I think um, you know 
people want to know what you're doing to help. Um, there's no, uh, I, 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 I see a lot on the news. There's no, um, bogeyman on this, right? Where in the past, rightly or wrongly, the blank, the banks were blamed for a lot of, of the previous financial crisis. Well, this yeah. is, there's no scapegoat here. It's the, you know, the, the health the, other than the virus, you know, the, the economy, the flip, the switch was flipped and people had to stop. And so that scapegoating, I think, needs to go away. But at the same time, you know, um, the big things are be authentic. We're all people. I don't care if you're running a million dollar business or a hundred, you know, million dollar business or a multi-billion dollar business. You're still worried about your family. You're still worried about your friends. You're still worried about your health. Um, people are people. I think the biggest thing and the biggest impact that I see uh, where people are doing this right is being authentic. Mm. Um, doesn't mean tough decisions at some point don't have to be made. That's life. And we're all, you know, realists, but treat people respectfully and with dig dignity and, um, you know, be seen as, um, as a, 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 a beacon of help and hope in these, in these troubling times. That's what want people, uh, customers, clients, employees, partners, that's what everybody wants. It's interesting you mentioned that Slade, obviously, Private equity gets lambasted somewhat, especially from from the political world. And I guess one reason, and I've heard this rebuttal from DC, is that we don't want this to seem like a private equity bailout. You know, if if you've invested in a firm, then you should have enough in your coffers to be able to help that firm. Now, I think that's unfair, and we at ACG are really petitioning for more monies to be. Um, given to the CARES Act, and, and, I th and I think over a little bit has been done recently or in the last couple of days to, to, to answer the woes of lower middle market, middle market. But what can PE do as a class to promote themselves as being um, a liberate? I'm not going to get into Gordon Gecko speak here, but his famous speak, his famous speech of saying we're a liberator of businesses. We're not, we're not, when greed is good, yes, but we're not here to engulf them, gobble them up, chew them up, and spit them out. My, my question in all of this is what can PE do as a class to promote the fact that they're helping a lot of businesses out there, that they, they are so integral to uh, the middle base, that base that a lot of politicians are, are panging to, to get in front of and, and get votes out of? Well, first of all, let me say that I think reason and reasonableness in politics don't often go together, right? Exactly. So, yeah. you know, that attitude I don't believe is necessarily reasonable or, you know, a reason, but it is politically correct. You know, uh, it, it does get people votes. So that's one aspect that you just, you know, got to fight against. And look, you and I have talked about this. I think um, in, in the lower middle market in particular, um, and, and then maybe up into the middle market as well. Um, I think private equity uh, has missed an opportunity to promote the benefits that they provide to the U.S. economy in particular. Um, I know, you know, people wanted to kind of fly under the radar and remain uncontroversial, uh, un but I think there's missed an opportunity. Um, I think, first of all, when you think of hedge funds and corporate raiders and, um, you know, all the different aspects um, private equity often gets lumped in, and I don't think some of the politicians and people talking about it know the difference between one and the other. And so I don't think there's enough education going out into showing the differences. I can tell you most of the companies that I work with 
um, in the lower middle market, the investors are looking to grow those assets. They're looking to hire people. That doesn't mean that people don't lose their jobs in that process, but they're looking to grow the businesses. And often that does lead, lead to gains uh, of employment um, uh, in the right areas, right? Uh, and, and, and some of that restructuring. It, it, it does make those businesses stronger. It does return wealth um, to to ownership, uh, you know, to that family, to that to that family that grew that business. Now they're getting, uh, they're able to unlock that wealth. And as you know, you know, uh, from the investors that are providing the funding to the private equity firms, those are often pension funds and others who rely on that return as well. Absolutely. And I don't think the private equity space uh, industry in the middle, in the middle and lower middle market, does enough to promote that. Mm. I, I think. On a net basis, and I don't have the statistics around that, a private equity, lower middle market private equity is a net job uh, promoter. Oh, absolutely. Yes, um, absolutely. And I know, I know ACG just did, just did some research on that as well. So, yeah. I, 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 you know, they're a net job promoter. It doesn't mean things aren't ugly when you're kind of in the middle of it. I don't mean to in any way minimize if I'm one of those people who gets caught in that. Um, but that happens across all sectors. And, and, and whether it's strategics or private equity or, you know, whatever, family-owned businesses, those things, unfortunately, do happen. Um, but I, I think private equity has made a mistake trying to just be in the background, and, um, and they're letting people tell the story for them. And I think that's a role ACG can play um, and be much more vociferous about going forward and, and telling the story for private equity rather than letting it being told for them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're seeing more private equity shops having to be more transparent, particularly with their LPs. And I think it needs to be that way as a class for, for the wider society. I mean, a lot of them at the top end have turned into C-Corps now. So, yeah. you know, they're, they're having to, to be a bit more out there. And they are. Well, Slade, look, a um, lot going on. And in and amongst all of that, we're having to communicate and engage and speak with our with our stakeholders, any final message out there for the listeners and, and viewers? Everyone's thinking this way, uh, but what would you say? You, you, you've been there and done that and worn the T-shirt of promotion and propagation and PR and communications. But what, what, any final message from you, sir? I think the final messages are, number one, be human. Be authentic and be human. Don't be afraid to, to, to be that. I think that's most critical at this time. Um, be helpful and be accessible. Um, and hang in there because this will pass. I, I, I believe uh, a thousand percent as a society, um, as an industry in private equity, uh, chief outsiders, we will get through this stronger. And then our, com our, our responsibility is to help the people that are not necessarily able to come through this stronger to help them and make sure we don't lose sight of them. Yeah. Because I think that's going to be the, the, what really defines us as a generation and uh, you know, in history is um, how did we help the people that were disrupted through this? Um, or did we just abandon them and say, you're on your own? And I think that's yeah. the biggest mistake we can make. Well, amen to that, sir, from, from your lips to whoever's listening, a, a nice selfless message there. I must say, in and amongst all of this, the silver lining has been that we've been welcomed into people's homes. It's been very endearing. So nice to be with you today and in your home. And um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much for your time today. Looking Cheers forward late. to it. And uh, happy care. Easter and happy Passover to everyone as well. Likewise. Thank you. Bye-bye.